Experience of the McWilliamses with Membranous Croup by Mark Twain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Experience of the McWilliamses with Membranous Croup by Mark Twain. Well, to go back to where I was before I digressed, to explain to you how that frightful and incurable disease, membranous croup, was ravaging the town and driving all mothers mad with terror, I called Mrs. McWilliams' attention to little Penelope and said, Darling, I wouldn't let that child be chewing the, that pine stick if I were you. Precious, where is the harm in it, said she, but at the same time preparing to take away the stick, for women cannot receive even the most palpably judicious suggestion without arguing it, that is, married women. I replied, Love, it is notorious that pine is the least nutritious wood that a child can eat. My wife's hand paused in the act of taking the stick and returned itself to her lap. She bridled perceptibly and said, Hubby, you know better than that. You know you do. Doctors all say that the turpentine in pine wood is good for weak back and the kidneys. Ah, I was under a misapprehension. I did not know that the child's kidneys and spine were affected and that the family physician had recommended who said the child's spine and kidneys were affected? My love, you intimated it. The idea! I never intimated anything of the kind. Why, my dear, it hasn't been two minutes since you said. Bother what I said. I don't care what I did say. There isn't any harm in the child's chewing a bit of pine stick if she wants to, and you know it perfectly well, and she shall chew it, too. So there now. Say no more, my dear. I now see the force of your reasoning, and I will go and order two or three cords of the best pine wood to-day. No child of mine shall want while I, oh, please, go along to your office and let me have some peace. A body can never make the simplest remark, but you must take it up and go to arguing and arguing and arguing till you don't know what you are talking about, and you never do. Very well, it shall be as you say, but there is a want of logic in your last remark, which, however, she was gone with a flourish before I could finish, and had taken the child with her. That night at dinner she confronted me with a face white as a sheet. Oh, Mortimer, there's another! Little Georgie Gordon is taken. Membranous croup? Membranous croup. Is there any hope for him? None in the wide world. Oh, what is to come of us? By and by a nurse brought in our Penelope to say good night and offer the customary prayer at the mother's knee. In the midst of, Now I lay me down to sleep, she gave a slight cough. My wife fell back like one stricken with death, but the next moment she was up and brimming with the activities which terror inspires. She commanded that the child's crib be removed from the nursery to our bedroom, and then she went along to see the order executed. She took me with her, of course. We got matters arranged with speed. A cot bed was put up in my wife's dressing room for the nurse. But now Mrs. McWilliam said we were too far away from the other baby, and what if he were to have symptoms in the night, and she blanched again, poor thing. We then restored the crib and the nurse to the nursery, and put up a bed for ourselves in a room adjoining. Presently, however, Mrs. McWilliam said, Suppose the baby should catch it from Penelope. This thought struck a new panic to her heart, and the tribe of us could not get the crib out of the nursery again fast enough to satisfy my wife, though she assisted in her own person, and well-nigh pulled the crib to pieces in her frantic hurry. We moved downstairs, but there was no place there to stow the nurse, and Mrs. McWilliam said the nurse's experience would be an inestimable help. So we returned, bag and baggage, to our own bedroom once more, and felt a great gladness like storm-buffeted birds that have found their nest again. Mrs. McWilliams sped to the nursery to see how things were going on there. She was back in a moment with a new dread. She said, What can make baby sleep so? I said, 
why my darling baby always sleeps like a graven image i know i know but there's something peculiar about his sleep now he seems to to he seems to breathe so regularly oh this is dreadful but my dear he always breathes regularly oh i know it but there is something frightful about it now his nurse is too young and inexperienced maria shall stay there with her and be on hand if anything happens that is a good idea but who will help you you can help me all i want i wouldn't allow anybody to do it but myself anyhow at such a time as this i said i would feel mean to lie abed and sleep and leave her to watch and toil over our little patient all the weary night but she reconciled me to it so old maria departed and took up her ancient quarters in the nursery penelope coughed twice in her sleep oh why don't that doctor come mortimer this room is too warm this room is certainly too warm turn off the register quick i shut it off glancing at the thermometer at the same time and wondering to myself if seventy was too warm for a sick child the coachman arrived from downtown now with the news that our physician was ill and confined to his bed mrs mcwilliams turned a dead eye upon me and said in a dead voice there is a providence in it it is foreordained he never was sick before never we have not been living as we ought to live mortimer time and time again i have told you so now you see the result our child will never get well be thankful if you can forgive yourself i never can forgive myself i said without intent to hurt but with heedless choice of words that i could not see that we had been living such an abandoned life mortimer do you want to bring the judgment upon baby too then she began to cry but suddenly exclaimed the doctor must have sent medicines i said certainly they are here i was only waiting for you to give me a chance well do give them to me don't you know that every moment is precious now but what was the use in sending medicines when he knows that the disease is incurable i said that while there was life there was hope hope mortimer you know no more what you are talking about than the child unborn if you would as i live the directions say give one teaspoonful once an hour once an hour as if we had a whole year before us to save the child in mortimer please hurry give the poor perishing thing a tablespoonful and try to be quick why my dear a tablespoonful might don't drive me frantic there 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 my precious my own it's nasty bitter stuff but it's good for nelly good for mother's precious darling and it will make her well there 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 put the little head on mamma's breast and go to sleep and pretty soon oh i know she can't live till morning mortimer a tablespoonful every half hour will oh the child needs belladonna too i know she does and aconite get them mortimer now do let me have my way you know nothing about these things we now went to bed placing the crib close to my wife's pillow all this turmoil had worn upon me and within two minutes i was something more than half asleep mrs mcwilliams roused me darling is that register turned on no i thought as much please turn it on at once this room is cold i turned it on and presently fell asleep again i was aroused once more dearie would you mind moving the crib to your side of the bed it is nearer the register i moved it but had a collision with the rug and woke up the child i dozed off once more while my wife quieted the sufferer but in a little while these words came murmuring remotely through the fog of my drowsiness mortimer if we only had some goose grease will you ring i climbed dreamily out and stepped on a cat which responded with a protest and would have gotten a convincing kick for it if a chair had not got it instead now mortimer why do you want to turn up the gas and wake up the child again because i want to see how much i am hurt caroline well look at the chair too i have no doubt it is ruined poor cat suppose you had now i am not going to suppose anything about the cat it never would have occurred if maria had been allowed to remain here and attend to these duties which are in her line and not in mine 
Now, Mortimer, I should think you would be ashamed to make a remark like that. It is a pity if you cannot do the few little things I ask of you at such an awful time as this when our child—there, there, I will do anything you want, but I can't raise anybody with this bell. They're all gone to bed. Where is the goose grease? On the mantelpiece in the nursery. If you'll step there and speak to Maria, I fetched the goose grease and went to sleep again. Once more I was called. Mortimer, I so hate to disturb you, but the room is still too cold for me to try to apply this stuff. Would you mind lighting the fire? It is all ready to touch a match to. I dragged myself out and lit the fire, and then sat down disconsolate. Mortimer, don't sit there and catch your death of cold. Come to bed. As I was stepping in, she said, But wait a moment. Please give the child some more of the medicine. Which I did. It was a medicine which made a child more or less lively, so my wife made use of its waking interval to strip it and grease it all over with the goose oil. I was soon asleep once more, but once more I had to get up. Mortimer, I feel a draft. I feel it distinctly. There is nothing so bad for this disease as a draft. Please move the crib in front of the fire. I did, and collided with the rug again, which I threw in the fire. Mrs. McWilliams sprang out of bed and rescued it, and we had some words. I had another trifling interval of sleep, and then got up, by request, and constructed a flaxseed poultice. This was placed upon the child's breast, and left there to do its healing work. A wood fire is not a permanent thing. I got up every twenty minutes and renewed hours, and this gave Mrs. McWilliams the opportunity to shorten the times of giving the medicines by ten minutes, which was a great satisfaction to her. Now and then, between times, I reorganized the flaxseed poultices, and applied synapsisms and other sorts of blisters where unoccupied places could be found upon the child. Well, toward morning the wood gave out, and my wife wanted me to go down cellar and get some more. I said, My dear, it is a laborious job, and the child must be nearly warm enough with her extra clothing. Now, mightn't we put on another layer of poultices, and— I did not finish, because I was interrupted. I lugged wood up from below for some little time, and then turned in and fell to snoring as only a man can, whose strength is all gone, and whose soul is worn out. Just at broad daylight I felt a grip on my shoulder. That brought me to my senses suddenly. My wife was glaring down upon me and gasping. As soon as she could command her tongue, she said, "'It is all over, all over. The child's perspiring. What shall we do?' "'Mercy, how you terrify me. I don't know what we ought to do. Maybe if we scraped her and put her in the draft again. Oh, idiot! There is not a moment to lose. Go for the doctor. Go yourself. Tell him he must come, dead or alive.' I dragged that poor sick man from his bed and brought him. He looked at the child and said she was not dying. This was joy unspeakable to me, but it made my wife as mad as if he had offered her a personal affront. Then he said the child's cough was only caused by some trifling irritation or other in the throat. At this I thought my wife had a mind to show him the door. Now the doctor said he would make the child cough harder and dislodge the trouble. So he gave her something that sent her into a spasm of coughing, and presently up came a little wood splinter or so. "'This child has no membranous croup,' said he. She has been chewing a bit of pine shingle or something of the kind, and got some slivers in her throat. That won't do her any hurt. No, said I. I can well believe that. Indeed, the turpentine that is in them is very good for certain sorts of diseases that are peculiar to children. My wife will tell you so. But she did not. She turned away in disdain and left the room. And since that time there is one episode in our life which we never refer to. Hence the tide of our days flows by in deep and untroubled serenity. Very few married men have such an experience as McWilliams, and so the author of this book thought that maybe the novelty of it would give a passing interest to the reader. End of Experience of the McWilliamses with Membranous Croup
by Mark Twain. Read by Richard Wallace. Liberty, Missouri, February 10th, 2010.